You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. All right, lovely people. So um, it's good to see you. It's good to be back. If you're visiting with us uh, today, I'm new here. Um, <laughs> I haven't been here in a minute. Uh, I have been off writing. Uh, every staff member was able to give us given a sabbatical uh, to kind of a recu- uh, recoup, refresh from COVID uh, and from all that we were doing uh, just as a staff to continue to serve um, this church family. And it gave every staff member a chance. John still left to take his. It gave every staff member a chance to um, renew their vision for ministry uh, and to see what God has taught us through this season of separation and connection and separation and connection and the ebb and flow of that. My particular sabbatical was um, bound up in me trying to finish an eight-year journey of doctoral study where I uh, have been writing my thesis. And I'm almost, I'm, I'm, I'm where I need to be, um, but I'm not, I'm not done, so I've got the rest of the month to kind of iron it out. Oh, this is, this is funny. Um, oh, that's sweet. So I'm just going to look at you through this because it's kind of a cool vibe. Um, so, you know, I, I'm... I'm almost there. I appreciate your prayers. I appreciate your thoughtfulness and your kindness toward me and my family while I was doing this. Um, I have missed all of you, and I've missed seeing um, all of you and just being here and gathering with you. I've been visiting other churches, but it's always, always good to be home. Uh, so I do want to sing the praises of all of those who served. Uh, Jonathan, Mike, um, Aaron, Jason, Garrett, man, just gifts to us. Um, yeah, go ahead, please. Uh, I caught all of Aaron's, because, you know, Big Idea isn't just for the kids, right? We do it with them, so I love Big Idea. I learned something from Aaron when she teaches all of us um, as she sits with the kids, because she's not just teaching kids, she's preaching in that way to all of us and offering a word to all of us, so I've, I, I listen to those and great. And I got to tell you, um, it's been beautiful to see the growth even in the praise band. Like, it's like, I looked one Sunday, and there was Jimmy on piano, and there was on guitar. I'm like, where did these guys come from? Uh, and so it's just been neat to see God grow us in a way uh, that there's so much uh, that he's blessed us with and so much wisdom and so much giftedness. It's good to see uh, all of you and it's good to see the students back. And um, so if you have grown accustomed to someone other than me and, and, and you don't like what you get this morning, you know, like unfortunately there's no refunds. Um, you know, this is, this is what it is. But hopefully, I will say this. There's, there was a couple that I met this morning who have been visiting just during my absence. And um, they, and this is, what I, this is what I genuinely appreciate. They've connected with the teaching and w- could sing its praises of, of the Spirit's work through the people who offered a word. They connected with the music. But more than anything, they connected with the culture of the church and they had met many of you. They connected with kind of the, the heart of who we are. And that's what makes me grateful is that it's not a personality-centric thing. And I do want to say that. For years, people would wonder sometimes because of, you know, maybe my own demeanor and strength of personality. People would sometimes say, well, this is a personality-centric church. I think we clearly prove that that's not the case. Um, You are the church. And the one who's the center of this, I really believe, is Christ, the one who's organizing this people Together, And there are many more voices um, that I'm looking forward to us hearing from 
uh, brothers and sisters in this church over the next little while. Uh, so I'm excited about that. I'm also excited about this new series. We're not starting it today. I'm going to give a tip off into it. Jason spent the last three weeks doing a deep dive of Hebrew study. I mean, wasn't that pretty deep? So, I mean, I know you were kind of spoiled because Mike and Aaron and Jonathan, they preach, what, like 20 minutes? Garrett does about 30, you know, and then Jason comes up and he's like, y'all, this is seminary. Open your Bibles, get your pens and get your pads. We're going to go for a minute here. And some of you have told me that you have listened to it twice, which I think is incredible that you have such a hunger um, to want to open up your Bible and get a pen and pad and just go through it because there's a lot to it. And so I've asked Jason to send his manuscript, all 137 pages of it to me. And I'm trying to carve it into some sort of, um, some sort of um, Bible study for us that will add this stuff, this series too. Because Jason really laid down the deeper theological narrative, the story of Scripture on Yahweh's understanding or Yahweh's view of money and Yahweh's view of possessions. And I've asked them to text me if they need me, so that's the only reason I'm checking this, just to be clear. I don't want y'all thinking I'm just like, oh, let me update my status. Um, but I, I wanted the, the, them to text me if they need me over there in the student center. Um, and to make sure that, that you can go deep into this so that when we go into this together, we can stay very practical. Um, so this series called Grasping, Gripping, and Giving, A View of Money, Possessions, and Power, is going to be a really practical series. And I want to... Um, I, I want to take it as an opportunity for us to think about over the next several weeks what it means to get our financial houses in order, what it means to get our stuff in order, all the material things that we own, to start asking questions, do we own these things or do these things own us? And what does that even mean? You know, Jason talked a lot about the king's grasping um, and Ahaz being grasper. Like We're going to talk about the society that we live in and our tendency to do these things. And what it means to grasp, to grip, or to give. So this is going to be a view of uh, money. It's going to be a view of practical for, uh, personal finances. It's going to be a view of uh, church family finances. So as we get our individual houses in order, what does it mean to get our, our church house, uh, our, the house of God that we call as a, as a household of God in order? But we're also going to talk about possessions. We're going to talk about um, how all of that equates to power. And how this power is oftentimes at work in our lives and at work in our society. And we're going to dispel, hopefully, over the course of time, that abundance in light of Yahweh is not about your bank accounts. Abundance is something far deeper than that. Far, far deeper than that. And if a bank account happens to be, in society's terms, abundant, your internal heart and soul could be just as scarce and poor as anything could possibly be. And so we're going to try and bring all of this to light in the most practical ways um, with some stories, and then there'll be some tips. And there's a book that will guide us through some of these things as well. So I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I'm looking forward to getting in this together, especially as we move through the season of Epiphany and then as we move through, um, as we move through the Lenten season. So, But what I want to do today is I want to I pivot from... I, wa I want Jason's messages... That pit, to pivot this conversation uh, in such a way that we're prepared to move toward this new series. So if you have your Bibles, if you don't, this will be up here on the screen, but it'd be good. Um, you can go to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 through 9. If you have your um, church apps, your church center app, 
Um, you can launch it onto the home screen. The notes are there for you. Everything will be there for you if you need it. So we're going to do some reading, and then we'll do some chatting, and then we'll, um, we'll remember who we are. All right, y'all ready? We good? All right, come on. Liberating, uh, here we go. This is a liberating text. So 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. By his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need. Everybody say everything. everything. So I'm going to read that again. By his divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his honor and glory. He has given us everything we need. That's what Peter believes. That when we come to see Jesus for who Jesus says he is and has revealed himself to be. When we see Jesus as the God made flesh showing us what love looks like with skin on. Teaching us through his life what it means to embody his words. And then we see him in death and we see him in resurrection and we see him in ascension. And then through the knowledge of that gospel, which becomes good news for us, God gives us the Spirit of God inside of us as the Bible says a deposit of the things to come. God gives us the Spirit. Peter says, then you have everything you need for any kind of life and godliness God calls you to. Say, I already have it. Like you do. That's what Peter believes. Peter believes that whatever God calls you to, you already have. A life of joy, you have it. A life of peace, you have it. A life of goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. You already have everything you need to live that life. That's what he believes. But he doesn't just stop there because we oftentimes don't believe it. Because we don't feel like we have everything we need. Because as hard as we grasp See the word there? For the things that bring us joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. More Bible study, maybe more prayer, more generosity. Like we're grasping for even good things or grasping for other things. We just think we don't have it. I don't feel it. So we don't believe it. Now, when we put Peter's words within the context of Peter's life, it should, for those of us who know anything about Peter's life, it should give more weight and credibility to this writing, it seems to me. A guy who ends up crucified upside down, a guy who was married and left everything to follow Jesus and still maintained marriage, and we don't know about lineage and family planning, and a guy who walked away from vocation, storied vocation, dad's business, walked away from a family business, And then thought he was bigger than his britches, as my grandma would say many times, right? Like the rest of us. Spoke before thinking. Denied Jesus. Abandoned Jesus in the darkest hour. Somehow was found life again welcomed back by the Christ he abandoned. That should tell you something. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's the thing that provokes him the most. She knows how he abandoned and denied Jesus. And yet it was still that Jesus who welcomed him back. And didn't just welcome him back and make him grovel back, but put him in a place of leadership and authority in the story of the gospel. And, by the way, he was just a fisherman. And back then, just a fisherman matters. He wasn't an aristocrat. He wasn't a person of wealth, significance, and power. He was just an everyday person. 
who decided to leave it all and follow Jesus. And he struggled to get it all back. Every now and then, remember that time where he went back fishing again? Like, I don't know. I think I'll try, and I think I might need to get back to the old. Like, he struggled. And yet he still says, by his divine power. Whose divine power? God's divine power. By God's divine power, not by your own making, not by your own earning, by God's divine power, the Lord has given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge of the one who called us by his own honor and glory. Through his honor and glory, he has given us his great and precious, our precious and wonderful promises. You ready for this? That you may share the divine nature. Everybody say, share the divine nature. Share. Come on. That's huge. Like, that's very mystical, by the way. We're like, what does that mean? The image of God that you were made into, that, that, was, that formed you, that has been twisted and marred and strained and stretched by the reign of sin and death and all the broken things of this world, that God, through Christ, is healing. Everybody say healing. Healing, healing that and has given you God's spirit. God is in you. You share in God's divine nature. That's what Peter believes. You share in God's life. Not just his blessings, not just his promises, but his life, which includes his power. You have God in you, and therefore, if you have God in you, then it would go to believe that you have everything you need to live the life that God's called you to. Everything you need. God has given you everything you need for well-being, for purpose, and for fullness. You no longer have to try and find well-being somewhere else. You have to learn what it means to have, to live with what you have. Say, I've got to live with what I have. Come on. We've got to learn to live with what we have. Our mamas and daddies and grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles have been telling us that, right? Like, you've got to live with what you got. You know, like, be happy with what you have. You get what you get, don't throw a fit. Like, all the things that... that and and, and what, what, what the scripture says is you have everything you need. We just have to learn to live with what we have. The problem, a lot of times for some of us, is you know, sometimes we're easily distracted. Sometimes we're not, you know, we're easily dissatisfied. I think more times than not, we just struggle to believe it. Because sometimes the facts on the ground and the data of our lives doesn't equate to this. And that's fair. Through his honor and glory, he's given us his precious and wonderful promises that you may share in the divine nature you may share in the divine nature and escape from the world's immorality that simple craving produces. This is why then you must make what? Every effort. Every effort, right. every effort to add. Notice he doesn't say every effort to create. Notice he doesn't say every effort to produce. Notice he simply says every effort to what? add like when you give somebody a gift don't you want them to use the gift to at least open it and enjoy it isn't that like the bare minimum of a of a hope that we have when we give someone a gift I mean we give them a gift because we love them or we appreciate them or we want to celebrate them but then we want to see them use the gift Right, Because we take the time to buy the gift that we think matters to them. And we want them to use and celebrate and enjoy what it is we give them. We don't want them to leave it wrapped. We don't want them to re-gift it. I mean, I don't mind. I re, you know, I re-gift like a boss. But I mean, I'm just saying like, I don't actually. But we, we don't want, we want them. We bought it for you. Right? Like I bought it for you. 
But you have to use the gift. You have to enjoy the gift. You have to open the gift. You have to work the gift. You have to... Jesus, is like, Jesus gives us everything. And some of us think the way we access the experience of the gift that we have is by more Bible study, better prayer, more church attendance, and singing songs or listening to K-Love. And that somehow that was what cuts it. But it's not. You have everything you need. Now you just have to learn to live with what you have. And that's the journey that requires make every what? Effort. See, we have to make, above all things, a decision. Everybody say decision. If I say I believe it, even if I struggle to believe it at times, then I have to then decide to act on what I believe. Does that make sense? We have to act on the belief. I've said it a million times. Too many of us believe in Jesus and we don't believe Jesus. There is a difference. But this isn't merely just living out our beliefs. There has to be in between the living out and belief, there has to be a decision to do something. Decision is like the word incision, which means to cut. Do you know that? means to cut. When you make an incision, you cut in. When you make a decision, you cut away. To make a decision is to cut away the alternatives, to cut away the other options, to cut away the escape hatches, to cut away the exit strategies, to cut away the things, and sometimes even the people through boundaries that keep me from moving forward in the decision that I've made. And if I've decided to follow Jesus and I made a decision, then I have to be willing to cut away. Too many times, we literally break our lives by trying to hold both ends together. And that is called indecision. Well, we are not willing to cut away while we're also not willing to quit moving forward. But the momentum of this hand and that hand pulls at me and it hurts. And so the journey of decision is recognizing first, I have to cut away. Because I've decided to trust some things. Even if I'm like the man who said, Lord, I believe, help my what? Unbelief. You know, that man had decided at least to go to Jesus. And too many times we, saw, we fall into this trap of saying, well, I've got to wait for the right time. Everybody say right time. Like the right time. We like to say the right time. I need to wait for the right time. Here's the thing, and this is just my opinion, Okay. I don't know if that, I think we need to let go of the notion of right time because there really rarely ever is a right time. There's only time and the wisdom that we apply toward the decisions we make while living in it. Does that make sense? So I'm not sure there's a right time. There's only time. 
But then there's this wisdom that we apply in the decisions we make while we live in. Because the sun sets and the sun rises. So this idea of the right time is sometimes the way we give ourselves a little bit of freedom to live into this place of indecision. And sometimes life brings us to paralysis that, 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 that comes through this sort of over, as we say, paralysis by analysis, through this overanalyzing things. And that's all, that's all the journey, which is why I think Peter says, look, this is why, because you have everything you need. Say, I have everything I need. Say it, come on. Have everything I need. Since you have everything you need, then you need to make every effort. Like, you have everything you need, so now step forward and trust God with the consequences. Let God put you in a position to actually experience the truth that you actually have everything you need. Because when we decide to follow Jesus, we receive God's, as Peter says, precious and wonderful promises that you may share the divine nature and escape from the world's immorality that sinful craving produces. We know that problems will come and temptations will find us. And there will be days and seasons in our lives. And as God's kingdom citizens living in this nation. When we will have to make a decision. A cutting away to trust the promise of the Lord's faithfulness over the feelings I feel. And that in and of itself can be the journey, right? To make a decision to trust the promise of the Lord's love over other claims of love that are, in the end, just disordered loves. Like, will we trust the power of God working in us to love our neighbor over our hatred of neighbor, our love enemy over our fear of enemy? Like, those kind of loves. There will be days and seasons in our lives and as God's kingdom citizens living in this nation when we will have to make a decision, a cutting away of the things that will keep us from trusting the promises of the Lord's truth over other claims of truth, to trust the promises tied to what the Lord values over what we value, to trust the promises tied with, to what we see Jesus doing in the scriptures over what we want to do sometimes in society, to trust the promises tied to the Lord's kingdom politics over nation's politics, to trust the promises of the Lord's economy over nation's economy. And Peter knows that in order to live this life, we need stepping stones. We need a signpost. We need signposts along the way. So then Peter says, you have everything you need. So because of that, you got to decide to make every effort to add to what you already have moral excellence. Which is another way, I think, of saying holding up a commitment toward an integrity, an internal integrity, that seeks to value what the Lord values and then organize my life around that rather than trying to make the Lord value what I value. That's an integrity thing. I think moral excellence is about integrity. It's about who I am when the lights are off and nobody else is looking. And then he says, and add to your moral excellence, faith, and the moral excellence, oh, and he says knowledge. The knowledge that he's talking about the knowledge that he's talking about is not just intellectual facts. There's two Greek words for knowledge. I'm gonna, I want to I do what Jason did. I feel left out. Two Greek words for knowledge. There's gnosis, which means intellectual knowledge, and then there's epinosis. 
which means experiential knowledge. You know which word he chooses there? Epinosis. He says, your integrity will lead you to an experiential knowledge, an experience of God. Because think about it, in a world where integrity is lacking, when you choose integrity, you are putting yourself at risk, right? You're not going to dog eat world, dog eat dog, you're not going to fight fight, you're not going to bow down in conspiracy, you're going to press into truth and honor, right? That's what integrity is about, that we're going to press in. Look, we tell people all the time in 3E, you can lose almost everything you own, but you choose to give your integrity away every time. Does that make sense? Like for me, for example, like Ian was here in the first service, and he was, he was, he was sitting right there trying to stay awake, and um, we stayed up way too late last night. Allison's out of town, and we slumber parted at watching way too much basketball and other things. And I have long, I have long, long believed that if I ever stand here and offer a word to you, and Allison and Ian are sitting there, and they're wondering who the heck I'm talking about, I lack integrity. Does that make sense? If my son or my wife hears me talking all this big stuff and I'm not that guy they know, like that's not who, I know, who they know to me, to be, then that's not integrity. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm talking about faithfulness. God didn't call us to perfection. Jesus has made us perfect. God calls us to what? Faithfulness. Well done, my good and faithful servant. But notice it does say well done. He ain't talking about the stake. He says well done done my good and faithful servant not well said not well posted not well thought not well planned not well strategically operated not well intended well done my good and faithful servant not my good and perfect servant not my good and always did it right servant all those not none of that because he's given us everything we need so he, he knows what we got he look here's the thing god believes more in us than sometimes we believe in him and I think God's okay with that. And when that's a struggle, God raises up people in our lives to speak that truth into us. As if it being a voice from the Father who says, you are my beloved child and I am already pleased in you before you ever did a thing. Remember Gay G's baptism sermon? That. You were the pleasure of God before you ever made a step forward in any kind of work you could have performed. And this knowledge, this integrity leads to a kind of experience that eventually, yeah, that, that where now I'm put because I have this experience of Jesus. I've seen God show up here. I've seen God move there. Sometimes it was at 11th hour. Sometimes it was 11.59. But I saw God move. I saw God provide. Raise your hand if you've ever seen God move or provide. Come on. Just raise your hand. That's what I'm saying. And I've seen God do it. And so when I see God do it, it, it actually can provoke in me because the Holy Spirit lives in me, the fruit of self-control. And I'm so grateful that self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of Fred. But I have to cooperate with the Spirit, which is the make every effort part. Does that make sense? Yes. Self-control is simply not giving in to my impulses. If you want the most bore down, born down definition, bored down, I would just, I'm oversimplifying, but it's just not giving in to reactivity and impulses. So don't do the hot take. Sit on it and pray. Don't just engage the conversation. Breathe in and pray. Look, man, I can tell you 100 times out of 100, anytime I've given in to my impulses and reactivity, it has been a fail. Some of you have been on the receiving end of that. I could name names, unfortunately. Like a good, like I, that's, 
It doesn't work. But, but learning how to lean into the promises of God that you already have and moving away from this kind of impulsive life of rash and rushed decisions that are driven sometimes by traumas or stressors or anxieties, sometimes and all the time fear, and trusting the Spirit to do what God says the Spirit would do and make the decision then to make the effort and trust God with the consequences. Does that make sense? And then finally, well, it's endurance to godliness, godliness to affection for others, affection for others for love. I want to talk about this endurance piece. Because when we are pushing into our own integrity, where we're no longer trying to be right, we're just trying to be faithful. Does that make sense? We're not trying to win anything because that means somebody has to lose. We're not trying to hoard and to grip and to grasp, but we're learning how to give. And that integrity moves us toward this experiential knowledge of God where we experience forgiveness for when we did, when we didn't do it the right way, where we experience love when we, when we didn't, Give the love when we experience kindness, when we were just mean, and compassion when we were cold-hearted, when we experience the opposite of what it is we did because God's grace is just that good. And it leads to a place where we're willing to measure our impulses and weigh our reactions so that we become responsive in a reactionary society. Does that make sense? That leads to a kind of endurance that I would like to call resilience. You know, in, in, in our work, we, resilience is understood as a healthy form of power in the midst of uncertainty and vulnerability. That's what resilience is. It's having a healthy form of power in the midst of threats of vulnerability and uncertainty. It's the ability to bend but not break. But it's a healthy form of power. What did Peter already say? You have what? Everything you need. So do you have the power? Yes, you do. Come on. I mean, like, yes, you have the power. You are resilient. I know that some of us aren't feeling that way. But this is where you have to decide God's faithfulness or my feelings. Which ones? And that's a hard one. Don't get me wrong. I'm not minimizing the feelings. Those are real, those are visceral, and those are okay. Sit with those, embrace those. Then at some point, remember the faithfulness of God. You are resilient. Because you have everything you need to be. And you have been tried and tested. Have you not? Every one of us have been tried and tested. And we have seen God come through. And, and, look around. Bear with me, this is cheesy and weird, but everybody just weird. Look around, look around, look to your right, left, come on. You know what else? You're not alone. Amen. Come on now. now, we have to learn the difference between loneliness and being alone. Loneliness is a special kind of hell when we're alone. But you're not alone. But here's the thing, we don't know 
you feel alone until you decide to tell us, I feel alone. And then we get to remind you and get to work out and get to work it out like together and say, well, then what is it? What's it going to look like to not be alone? Like that's the work. Make every what? That's the work. Here's the thing. We make this so complicated when in reality it's mostly just really hard. Really hard. Not complicated. Because we have everything we need. And remember that little book we read one Sunday outdoors when we were in the Resiliency series? Remember, it was the bear, but we're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. Remember that? Y'all killing me. And then it said, you can't go. Yes, you can't go. You got to go. <laughs> it's invigorating reading because that is life and you have everything you need to go through it so here's the thing you may you may very well listen you may very well be hard pressed on every side but you are not crushed you may be perplexed but you are not in despair you may be persecuted, but you're not abandoned. Struck down, but you're not destroyed. You will not lose heart. Though outwardly you may be feeling like you're wasting away, inwardly you're being renewed day by day. And whatever light or heavy momentary trouble you carry, it is achieving in you an eternal weight of glory. That is the promises of God. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.